very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world. And our welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's excellent interview, the full interview, you know what to do. Just go to VeritasRadio.com and click on the subscribe button. You will receive your login immediately which will give you access to all of our material, hundreds of hours. Come on, give yourself the gift of truth. And by the way, don't forget to check sanitasradio.com also. If you want to take your truth journey to a different level, then check it out. If there is something that stimulates my overdeveloped sense of wonder and curiosity, it's the pyramids. We need to look with fresh eyes and, and use a different time frame to reconstruct the story of ancient Egypt. There's so much we don't know. But there are people in this world who have taken the risk of stepping outside of the proverbial box and are helping us to uncover the secrets of the past. I am honored to say that some people call this very radio program a modern-day Mystery School. Tonight's special guest is Dr. Carmen Bolter. Dr. Bolter is a retired professor at the University of Calgary in Canada and is the creator of the Pyramid Code series and author of Angels and Archetypes, an evolutionary map of feminine consciousness. She has done extensive research in the archives of the Egyptian Museum, gaining official access to the original field notes of excavations done around the pyramids in the early 1900s. An evolutionary map of feminine consciousness traces fragments of information about matriarchal cultures and pre-dynastic Egypt, prehistoric Greece, and around the world. And directly from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, I am honored to welcome Dr. Carmen Bolter. Hello, Dr. Bolter, and welcome to Veritas. Thank you very much for having me, Mel. Oh, it's my pleasure. And did you just say to me that you're going back to Egypt for the 29th time this week? Yeah, I am. That's true. And what are you expecting from this new trip? Well, I'm bringing a group, and I actually was just on the phone up till about five minutes ago with um, some people that I'm talking about with a new discovery there. And uh, so I'll be meeting with the Supreme Council of Antiquities, and hopefully we'll be able to do some kind of uh, environmental project that will lead us to a new excavation. And it's very interesting to me because I've had a lot of past life memories about this place, and we haven't been able to locate it. So um, I'm pretty excited about that. 
Now, you mentioned the Supreme Council of Antiquities. Has a lot changed from the Mubarak times to now? Well, it seems. It seems that they want to bring tourism back. It's perfectly safe over there, despite what the mainstream media wants to um, drum up about it. And uh, it sounds like they're a little bit more open. So before, during the days of Dr. Zahi Hawass, he was he was pretty much saying yes to people until it came time to go do something. And then and then he'd say no and call it national security. So it seems like they're opening up and the climate is that it's a good time to be proposing these sorts of things. Who took over for Hawass now? Oh, just a second. I'll get his name. Um, I have to look it up. Just one second. That's okay. I'm just I'm just asking because I want to know if that person is more open-minded yeah. and less censoring than Hawass. It's, it's Mamdou El Damati. And I was going to meet him last trip and uh, I... I that the appointment was canceled for some reason. So I am still, you know, trying to find out and get in there and see what they're actually doing. I know other researchers who have access to scanning technology and they found a couple of uh, new tombs in the Valley of the Kings through these scans and another very deep chamber underneath the Red Pyramid in Dashur. And it seemed that the government was ready to move forward and with several of these projects. But, you know, the thing is, is there's so much of Egypt that's still underground. Uh, you know, we'd need practically you know, a, a, a huge workforce of volunteers like they're using at the Bosnian pyramids in order to right. get a lot of this done. So it, it would be really great if the floodgates opened and, and we could go and make some new discoveries. Even though my main focus now will be on the Egyptian area, you mentioned uh, the Boston Pyramids, and you, you probably know uh, Dr. Samir Osmanagic, or Osmanagic is known in the Western world. What, what have you found about the Boston Pyramids? What's your take on it? Well, I spoke at the Hidden Mysteries Conference last year, and um, I was really quite dazzled by the whole thing. And I saw the certificate from a carbon-14 dating of organic material that was found between the third and the fourth course of the pyramid itself. And are you ready? It came back at 38,000 years. Wow. Yes. Now that is absolutely revolutionary and groundbreaking, especially since carbon-14 tends to make things look younger. And uh, and it kind of breaks down at around 30,000 years. Just you know, So thermoluminescent dating and, and photoluminescent dating are perhaps favorable. But in any case, what they've been finding as that, okay, so the pyramid, the passageways underneath the pyramid were decommissioned. They were filled with rubble. And so they've had up to 550 volunteers a year going and sifting through this material. And it's taken them eight years to go to, to, to excavate two miles. But what they're finding is a unified writing. They're finding these little goddess figures. They're finding things that look like what Michael Tillinger has found in the field in South Africa. If I showed you footage that I have of, of both Michael Tillinger's uh, museum and Dr. Sam's lab, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between them. And South Africa is not in the neighborhood of Bosnia. That's it's right. a long walk. And so what we have is megalithic in the matriarchal time period. So we've got all the goddess material and all the pyramid material meeting. And that isn't something I expected. So I think that what's going on there is extremely interesting. 
when you say that carbon-14 makes things look younger, is it the analogy that you use? Let's say we paint our house in 2003, and then we, 50 years down the road, get some carbon-14. It doesn't mean that the house was built in 2003. Is this why carbon-14 can be misleading sometimes? No, uh, that metaphor, you know, I've used when it when they're dating the pyramids in that it could be that they, the last time they did a renovation, a renovation. restoration, yeah. it would have been in 2450 BC, but they most certainly weren't built in 2450 BC, but work was done. But that doesn't mean it's the date. The problem with carbon-14 dating is it's easily contaminated. So if if you touch the sample, uh, you know, little fragments of skin can fall off and then it's dating the skin, not the, the sample. If you put it in a plastic bag and it can't breathe, then it ends up with some mold on it and then you're dating the mold. And so um, if something like a forest or a fire, campfire, for example, with North American Indians from, you know, 500 years ago or whatever, uh, that might be plus or minus 10 years. And if something is 20,000 years, it's plus or minus 2000. And so there's a lot of room for error. And when I was at a scientific conference in Portland, Oregon, that Zachariah Sitchin was actually speaking at, and a number of other people, um, they actually did an analysis where for, one sample was sent to 14 labs, carbon 14 labs, and they came back with 14 dates. So the unreliability of it is vast. And I think that that is um, un, not, not many people know about that. What is the best way in, then if carbon-14 is not that reliable? Could precession dating be the next best thing? Well, I'm not sure how the processional dating would work, but there's new techniques. And this is part of the discussion. And this is all the way back in 1996. There are the photoluminescent dating and um, and uh, thermoluminescent dating are coming into vogue. However, there are parameters, um, like in Peru, they don't want anything to be more than 6,000 years old. So I'm privy to the story of a sample that could have been much older, that was kept in the lab for over a year. Then they said at the lab, well, we're not going to charge you for this. And it's 5,800 years when the researcher suspected it was more like a million years old. So on the archaeological record right now, nothing in Peru is older than 6,000 years. But that lines up with the Bible. That lines up with, you know, what school teaches us and, you know, the whole patriarchal era. And the agenda of the patriarchy is to erase evidence of everything other than itself. And so most people don't have, you know, the mindset to look beyond that. So we have problems with these labs as well, that there's corruption within the lab to keep the old story going. So um, I definitely think we need discussions like this to illuminate some of these problems so that we really can put the story together. Is all of this about selling salvation? In other words, if we go back to ancient times when spirituality was matching technology and we lived in harmony and probably there was a, a universal language, universal religion, and then things changed when the patriarchy came along and then the Amun priest came along and then all of a sudden they started charging for salvation. Do you think all of this, including religious dogma today, wants to bury all this before 6,000 years 
because selling salvation is what matters? Yes, I think overwhelmingly, yes. And uh, if we were to recognize the extent to which personal empowerment plays a role and that we have God, God asked within us, uh, then all of the power and control systems wouldn't have the grip they have. And it's keeping people locked into giving their power away to the doctor, giving their power away to the church, um, and then being debt slaves, uh, stopping people from understanding um, their past lives and you know who we really are in the whole cosmic scheme of things. What got you hooked into research in pyramids right from the beginning? I started having past life memories when I was six years old. And uh, I didn't know what I was seeing, and I didn't know that it was Egypt. And uh, there I was, little 11-year-old girl. I found a book with a picture of the Sphinx and the pyramid behind it, and I just wanted to climb right into the picture. And I, I was just um, struck with this, how close can you get to it? And I was like, who's talking to me here? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and then I, I, I said to my mother, where's Egypt? And she goes, I don't know. Look it up in the atlas. So I did. And I go, well, how do you get there? And she goes, I don't know. <laughs> She's chopping vegetables with her little apron, you know. And uh, she says, call the airlines. So I, called <laughs> the air- so I called the airlines and found out how much a, a plane ticket would be to Cairo. And I was making 25 cents an hour as, uh, you know, as a babysitting. Right. And I planned to go to Egypt as soon as possible when I was 11. <laughs> and what happened afterwards? I mean, you, you went to, to became a professor in from academia, as you know, there, there's not that many of you, uh, Robert, Dr. Robert Schock and some others, step outside that box. How was it working in academia and you having these unorthodox views that academia doesn't, doesn't promote? Well, I was going to do my PhD in archaeology, and I did a, a year of prep for that because uh, they wanted all the undergrad courses to, to line up with that. And uh, it was at University of Calgary. And uh, I was invited by the dean to apply. And, and then I realized I, I had it all set up with the dean at Cairo University and the Faculty of Archaeology to supervise my research. Um, I did an awful lot of, uh, I spoke at a couple of international um, uh, conferences because the library at the University of Calgary was very, very well funded in the uh, Department of Egyptology in, the, in that uh, domain because of a professor. And so, I mean, I got a lot done, but then I realized that with unorthodox views, you don't get to publish. You, you only can publish what follows the story. And so the minute I found out they were going to make me jump through all these hoops and that the things I really wanted to research and suspected were true, that I had hypothesized about, weren't going to come to fruition, I decided to go to Asia and I uh, started working at a university there and then it was actually a college. And then I ended up doing my PhD in computational linguistics. But the reason was, is that it, it's the only discipline that will be, that's cross-disciplinary, if you will. It's the only um, department that's cross-disciplinary. So you have cognitive psychology and social anthropology and, you know, the, the whole functioning of the brain and all these different things come together in linguistics. And so... Um, I worked on a number of international academic cooperation projects uh, through the Ministry of Education of, in the Republic of China, it's Taiwan, and they funded my research. And then I ended up getting um, a lot of uh, equipment 
through these grants. And that's how I became a filmmaker. So then I turned around and did the Pyramid Code uh, to showcase what, what I really thought the story was. And I continue to study archaeology, but um, it's, it's, it's not open enough for me to have wanted to do the PhD there. So I've kind of been able to keep my, my strategy and um, my integrity with this material uh, without having to sell my soul to the whole academic system. You know, the Egyptians, at the root of all their secrets was the transmutation of the atom. And we keep calling them the, you know, the ancient ones, the, the, the ones that didn't have that much technology. But if we cannot replicate the technology today, and we all know of, of many free energy devices that we have today, zero-point zero energy devices, quantum vacuum zero-point, over-unity machines, call it what you will. It all exists today, but they've all been repressed due to control and profits. Do you see the same thing happen back then? Somebody came along, when patriarchy came along, and they hid that information from the future? Or is there an information gap between, say, 4,000, 6,000 years ago, till now well there's definitely a concerted effort for an information gap i do think that there was a takeover uh at this point it's unverifiable like we can't go and say who did what when um, but that's why a lot of my hunches come from past life memory and of course uh, reincarnation was outlawed in 323 AD by Emperor Constantine. So that's kind of robbed us of, of the conversation and uh, the vocabulary for dealing with these things. But in my memories, uh, there really was a takeover where uh, an off-planet group came and they wanted to use the technology that we had used positively and use it negatively. And so the memory has this big mad scramble to try to shut down the, you know, the energy that the pyramids were generating in order to, um, you know, stop disaster. And part of the memory is that we, 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 we just got vaporized. I mean, the whole thing went down and there's evidence in pretty much every pyramid of a huge amount of force that cracked that solid stone mass and so you see that in Dashur, you see that in Giza, you see that in various places. So uh, it's almost like the entirety of the Band of Peace, which is the pyramid fields north and south of the Giza Plateau, just exploded. And that was not, you know, the, what the intent was. Of um, But the pyramids still didn't fall down. And, and when, um, you know, Napoleon and his group were, were looking to get into the pyramid, they couldn't figure out how to do it. So they actually used explosives and they still couldn't destroy the pyramid so they were definitely built to stay and uh and yes there's been there's been an awful lot of battles over the actual energy just like i told you offline the pyramid code the documentary i have to tell you it's one of the most informative documentaries i've ever seen on the subject i learned so much i i knew that that the the river nile was closer to the pyramids but i didn't know the specifics Eight miles from the pyramids to the 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 mouth of the river today, what do you think happened? Did the river moved, or was it the width of the river that shortened eight miles? No, 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 no. It's it's a migration, and um, this is in geological terms. 
it, it just migrated across, but it actually migrated from, you know, 50 miles on the other side. If you uh, listen to Hakim, the Indigenous mm -hmm. wisdom keeper that's featured. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.